Once that you've decided on a killing First you make a stone of your heart And if you find that your hands are still willing Then you can turn a murder into art There really isn't any need for bloodshed You just do it with a little So one of the hot new TV shows on ABC right now is How to Get Away with Murder. Now, I'm not giving a, a thumbs up to watch that show. It's a little sketchy, but it's intriguing because these law students and their law professor actually have a hand in committing murder. So it's just a catchy title to bring into the season after Easter. My name's Andrea Smith. I'm the pastor here at West, and we welcome you this morning to worship with us. And if you're worshiping with us online this morning, we extend a very special and warm welcome to you. So how do we get away with murder? The question is, is it murder if death doesn't win? We are in this post-season of Easter. A couple of weeks ago, we gathered in here and... Uh, Lots more people in here on the Sunday of Easter, and it, there was this energy and excitement. We had fun Bob Marley songs, and, and everything was just great. Everybody was so happy. And then they have what's called Low Sunday in churches across America. Uh, you have this huge Easter with all the pomp and circumstance and excitement and fun, and then you have Low Sunday. Do you know what Low Sunday is? How many of you were on vacation the Sunday after Easter? Yeah, you can clap. How many of you were? A good number. We go from here to here, or it feels like that anyway. And so this morning, I want us for the next several weeks to actually talk about what does it mean to live as resurrected people? What does it mean to live in the post-season of Easter? Now, I want you to clap if you like to go to the movies. Movies are fun, right? So, how many of you, when you get ready to go to the movies, you, you know, get your accomplice, accomplice that you're going with to take a big bag and you put some stuff in the bag, you're laughing, okay? Uh, yeah? You clap on that. You won't clap on other things. You clap on that. We smuggle, you know, we go to the dollar store and then we smuggle in the candy for our children so we don't have a debt leaving the movies. We like to get there early so we can see the previews. We like to get there early so we can get, get a good seat. If you're height challenged like I am, you know, you need a good seat so you can see over the heads of the people in front of you. And then we stay and we watch this movie and we are fed mentally, we're fed physically if we get the popcorn and the snacks, and then what happens when the movie is over? We leave. Back when Andrew and Lane were little, we went to see Monsters, Inc., and we sat through the whole movie. Everybody was excited. It was a great movie. And then when it was over, we started gathering all our items up. And the kids were small enough that we had coats and all these kinds of things. And we were notoriously always leaving something behind. So we were paying special attention that day to collect everybody's stuff. We got up to leave. And then all of a sudden, the end credits were finished. And then the movie, or so we thought, came back on. And there's all the characters in the movie, and they're interacting with one another, and it mesmerized Andrew and Lane. So they sat back down, much to my dismay, because I was ready to go, and they sat through what are now known as end credits or after credits. 
They were just as funny as many of the parts in the movie. So after that, every movie that we would take Andrew and Lane to go see, guess what? They wanted to stay to see if there were after credits at the end of the movie. This morning, we're going to talk about what it means to have some after credits in our journey. What does it mean if we create the end credits of life, especially if we are living as resurrected people? That's what we celebrated on Easter, right? That death doesn't win. We're not getting away with murder because death doesn't win. There was an alive Jesus that the people encountered. We looked at the four different gospel accounts and we talked about the the stories are different, And the fact that the stories are different sometimes trips people up and causes them, causes us to question this whole faith thing. How can four different writers have four different accounts of how the resurrection really happened? Was Jesus there? Was the gardener there? Was the tomb, the the stone already rolled away? What really happened? So on Easter, I challenged us to look at that, not as something that would trip us up in our faith, but what if it told us that the power of what happened that day was so big and so impactful that they all encountered it in a different way and then told the stories. And they ended up being recorded a little differently because each of the gospel writers were writing for a different, a different perspective at a different group of people at a different time. But the message never changed. There was life after death. There was this alive Jesus that they were encountering. Death didn't win. So the scripture that I want us to look at this morning for a few minutes are, is the end of the passage that we talked about on Easter. It's the gospel of Matthew. Because you see, Matthew, he doesn't tell the resurrection story and then go give lots of other different examples like Mark and Luke and John do. Matthew, he just gets right to the point to the end of the story. And the end of his story that he puts here is so compelling that I think it's worth us taking a deeper look at. So the scripture lesson this morning is from Matthew 28, and I'm beginning with verse five. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, he is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb. They were afraid, yet they were filled with joy and they ran ahead to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him. They clasped his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
this is one time where the story after the end credits is just as powerful, if not more so, than the movie leading up to those end credits. Because you see, when the women encountered Jesus, and then when the disciples encountered Jesus, he gave them what we know of as the Great Commission. They were not just some empty words. They had followed this man. He was healing people. He was creating this movement, and throngs of people were going with him. And then, because of what he believed and because of the stance that he took, he, his life ended, not by his own hand, but by the hands of others. They didn't like this new movement and this new kingdom of God that Jesus was ushering in. But then they get to experience the rest of the story. And we get to experience the rest of the story most of the time. You see, we live in a time and an age where people don't buy this story. They don't believe it. They do, like I said, they get tripped up on it. That's why on Easter here, we did some bizarre things like sing Bob Marley songs, have prizes taped on the bottom of the chairs because we recognize that on Easter Sunday, a good half of the people that gather in this auditorium and in churches across our nation They struggle with the story. They don't believe it. And I want to say thank you for being a faith community that allows us to push the envelope. And there's there's no ripple effect other than joy. You're happy to be able to share this message that's alive. So you see, you are actually living in the end credits because Jesus gave them a very clear message. He told them to go and to make disciples. Now, this past week, I had the opportunity to be in Anaheim, California with this thing called the Reynolds Leadership Academy. It studies leadership and evangelism, and it's really cool. There's like 25 pastors from our annual conference, and we, three times a year, get to go sit and listen to the teaching of two or three lead pastors of all denominations. This past week, it was a Christian church, uh, Eastside Christian Church in Anaheim, California. Sometimes they're United Methodists. Sometimes they're from other denominations. But these are folks that are leading churches of like 10, 15,000 people. And it is, it is intriguing to sit and listen to them teach. This past week, they were talking about the whole purpose and the whole meaning of the church. And, and what is that? And then we were charged to actually answer that in our small groups. What is, what is the purpose and I have to say that when I'm sitting in these preacher, preacher things, and you know, that's not always my favorite thing to do. Sometimes it is, but not always. And Bishop, yes, I do know that you're here. And so um, I know that uh, you may be shaking your head with that. Yes, the bishop's here. And yes, I'm very nervous about that, but we're just going to move on with that. Um, welcome, Bishop. I'm glad that you're here. But we're sitting in this preacher thing, and, and you have to answer these questions. And so the question posed to us was, your church, the place that you are leading in ministry, how does it live out being an Easter people? And does it model and mimic all these other churches that they had surveyed? You see, they had surveyed a thousand churches in this famous reveal survey. And do you know that in the survey that they used, Of the thousand churches, they were asked, what do you see your primary purpose as being? What is the point? 
If you were to go and ask the people that make up these churches, what is the point? What would they say? 89% of those church, the, the churched people said that their church existed to make them happy. And so, you know, when they share that statistic in this room of Western North Carolina Conference preachers, everybody sort of gasps because we know that that's not our purpose. That's not the story. Those are not the after credits. Those are not the end credits that Jesus gave us. You see, he gave us more to the story. He said, go, go and make disciples. He did not say, now I want you to go and gather together in the temple or the synagogue. And that was something that Jesus did. One of the pastors that were, was leading this institute had actually done counting in the gospels. And he said, you know, of 132 times that Jesus interacts with the people, of those 132 times, six times were spent in this, or 10 times total were spent either in the temple or the synagogue. 10 out of 132. The rest of the times, the 122 times that we have Jesus actually interacting with people, they're not sitting in a church building. Jesus did not resurrect from the dead to say, here, I am now here. I want you to go and feel good about yourselves. I want you to go and I want you to gather in this tight community of people that think exactly like you do. And I want y'all to pat each other on the back. And I want you to tell each other how good you are, what, how nice it is, you know, to be, to be a Christian. And then you go and you live in a bubble and you come back week after week after week. That's not what Jesus said. But as this speaker, Gene Apple, was telling that story, you could see the pastors in the room start nodding because we've all encountered people like that. I'll never forget, I was teaching a Bible study many, many years ago, probably about seven years ago. It was right when the idea of West was coming into being. And we were talking about the mission and the vision of West. Why were we creating this new faith community? And the whole point was so that people could meet Jesus. People that are not ever going to walk into a fancy building with a big steeple and stained glass windows. We were created and are created and are continuing to try to be a group of people who help people that are done with church. They don't want anything to do with organized religion or institutionalized religion. Help them encounter the power of the resurrection because we believe that Jesus changes things. We believe that the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, transforms things. But not all people believe that. So in this Bible study, as I'm, I'm sharing the purpose and the mission and vision of West, someone asked, well, what's, what's your job going to be? And how is it going to be different than what you've done at Williamson's Chapel versus, you know, what's going to happen when you lead West? And I said, well, actually, my... My position at West will be very different. My role will be to serve as the pastor, of course, but as the leader, leading us in ways of reaching new people, leading us in ways of thinking about church differently. And we're going to create these small groups, different, smaller communities of people, and pastoral care 
will happen in those small groups because it is not a sustainable model to have your pastor serve as your chaplain. That's not the Jesus model. Jesus called the disciples and then the disciples had touches and life impact on other people. And so we created West so that it was not centered around me and me being your savior because that's not the point. We have a risen savior. We have the power of the resurrection. And so I shared that. And then I'll never forget one lady said, well, I would never want to be a part of that church. Now, this was before we even asked people uh, if they would pray for Wes. This was in the very early stages. So that was like, you know, sort of like a knife in, in my gut. I thought, all I've done was say that we're trying to reach people that are done with church and don't want anything to do with church, or maybe they've not encountered Jesus at all, and you don't want to be a part of it at all. And I said, well, later, not in the middle of Bible study, I said, would you mind telling me why you said that you don't want to be a part of West? I'm just curious. I'm not trying to put pressure on you. I just want to know. And she said, church is for me. I want to be able to come in, and I want to be able to sit down, and I want you to feed me. And then, if I need you at any point during that week, I want you to be a phone call or a text away. And I want you to give me what I need. True story. And I said, well, I respect that decision. I mean, there was no point in arguing there in the hallway. But that resonated with me because, you know, I didn't, what if everybody felt that way? What if we tried to create this faith community that really never lasted? This week when I was in California, when they said that 89% of the churches think that the church exists for them and only for them, for once in a preacher meeting, I actually felt like I had some wisdom. Yeah, you can laugh at that. Because I don't normally. I normally feel, feel like a, a babbling idiot. But that day, because we had to talk about our faith communities and the pastors that I was in a small group with, they have the opportunity to serve churches that look a lot like you. You get that there is power in the resurrection You get that we, you and I, may be the only Jesus that other people see. Jesus, the physical Jesus, is not here anymore. Just like the the Jesus that they knew, the pre-crucifixion Jesus, that form is probably not what they encountered. They encountered a different experience with Jesus, and they did. They each encountered Jesus in different ways. Next week, we'll talk about Thomas and how he encountered Jesus, but but the women and the disciples, when they went, and there he was on this mountain, which probably meant theologically some experience. They don't really know exactly which mountain they went to, but they go and They experienced this alive presence of Jesus. And what he said to them was so important then, just like it's important today, a couple of thousand years later. 
It's why the post-Easter season is just as important as the big fun day when everybody gets together and all the happiness and excitement is in the room. The same passion, the same excitement, the same joy is here now. But it's up to us to claim that and then to go share it. We are the only Jesus that other people can see. So what does that mean for us? What do our end credits look like? Several years ago, there was this movie called Chicken Little. It was an animated film by Disney, and I don't know if you know the story of Chicken Little or not, but you know, he said the sky is falling, the sky is falling. So the plot of this movie is how Chicken Little encounters, you know, this thing that falls out of the sky and he does indeed think the sky is falling. So he goes and he tells people and they begin to think he's crazy. And then later on in the movie, some, some bad things actually do happen. And he's trying to tell everybody that this, this negative thing's happening. And, and so they get invaded and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the movie, this chicken little, you know, finally earns a little bit of the respect of his peers and of his dad. He really just wanted his dad to love him. But for the majority of the movie, they thought he was crazy. But at the end, it it sort of comes together with an end point. Then they show the credits, you know, producer, director. Do you know what a gaffer is? I'm not sure that's a job that you or I would want if we went to Hollywood and became or got involved in the film industry because nobody really knows what a gaffer is unless you are really in into film. Gaffers are actually very important people. They're the folks that are responsible for the light, the lighting and the technology set up for the production of a film. But, you know, we know who producers are. We know who directors are. We certainly know who the lead actors are in films. But nobody knows what a gaffer is. Because, you see, you have to sit through all those credits. And you have to be actually looking for it to even know that that position exists. But anyway, back to the Chicken Little movie. All these parts and pieces, these people write this movie and it ends. You watch the end credits and then you go away. But this is another one of those movies that the end credits actually were funny and they caught everybody's attention. Enough so that people that were getting ready to leave the theater came back in and sat down. I want you to take a look at the Chicken Little end credits.
breaking my heart. Don't go breaking my heart. Don't go breaking my heart. Come on, Ron, you can do it. Don't go breaking my heart. Don't go breaking your heart. Don't go breaking my Don't go breaking my You gotta act quickly, Daddy. Try this. Don't go breaking my There you go. Don't go breaking. There it is. I won't go breaking your heart. I'm having spots now. So when they showed that, people actually went back in and sat down. It was a catchy song that people knew. And did you catch that as you were watching the characters of the film, on the screen were the end credits. They partnered entertainment with what they needed to communicate to the people who actually worked together to make this happen. So this morning, I have a very real and not fun and light, you know, and happy-go-lucky, fluffy question for us. What are our end credits going to look like? Because you see, there is power in the resurrection story. And there are people beyond the walls of this place that want to fall in love with something that is bigger than they are. People want purpose in this world. It's up to us to help them find it. The way that we do that is by we write some phenomenal end credits. And the good news is we don't have to do it alone I believe that's the power of being a part of a faith community. And whereas in Anaheim, I could sit there and say, yes, we are a missional church. We're not going to build a fancy facility that takes money away from the mission. And yes, we are centered on small groups. And we had a hundred and I don't know how many, over a hundred in the spiritual formation groups for Lent, studying how to grow closer with God through that season of preparation before Easter. And we have over 150 people that serve on ministry teams and make West happen. 150, that's half of our average worship attendance, people who give of time and energy energy to make this happen. Even though all those things happen and all those things are great and it felt really good to be able to sit with my colleagues and say, yeah, I can tell you about West. I have to let you know that we aren't finished. And I have to let you know that I believe that God is calling us in bigger ways and in more powerful ways to continue our touch so that we can write in credits that lead people that are far from God to encounter Jesus, to encounter a resurrected, powerful Jesus. As you know, I have the opportunity in life and ministry to to have conversations with people that don't believe in organized religion, much less would call themselves a Christian. Right before Easter, I had a chance to talk with a friend of mine, and, and he was sharing that, you know, he still finds himself on this journey, and that he really... He really doesn't want to be a part of a church. And in those conversations, I never push, and I certainly never say, well, you know, you're going to go to hell if you don't get this figured out really soon. I just talk about Jesus' Jesus' love. And I talk about how when we experience that love for ourselves, it changes us. 
So weeks have passed. I had a chance to speak with him yesterday. And he said, you know, I had lunch with someone that I would not consider to be a friend of mine. We are colleagues and we work together, but I would not call him a friend and actually he would not call me a friend. We fall on opposite ends of social justice issues. He has some some barriers toward people that look different or act different or have a different skin color. And I just don't, that's, that's not me. That's not who I am. And I knew that he had a strong faith background. So when he asked me what I believed in God and in Jesus, I really tensed up a little and I felt like I was walking in some uh, uncomfortable waters. But I decided that I needed to be honest with him. And so I explained that my view of God and Jesus and church had changed over the years that I had grown up, you know, in love with church and God and probably in that order, which is sort of where it went wrong. And then once I became a teenager and went to college and graduated and found my own place in this world, I didn't have a place in my life for that. And the man that he was having lunch with said, well, that surprises me. And the guy said, well, why? And he said, because, you know, for months I've watched you interact with other people. I've watched how you're generous with other people. And when folks need something, you're always the first to volunteer. And you do things that you think other people don't see you do, but I have seen you do them for other people. You try to do them in secret, But I've noticed, and I've also noticed in conversations that become very polarizing because they're political, even if you disagree with what's being said in the room, you always respond with kindness, and you always respond with what I would call as grace. So I just want to let you know that whereas you may say, that you don't have any part to do with religion or church or God or any of that, I want to let you know that for me, when I look at you, I see Jesus. Now, when this gentleman called me to talk about this, it unnerved him. That somebody that he would have actually considered to be sort of like an enemy came to him and said, I just want to let you know that when I watch you, you who is so different from me, when I watch you, I see Jesus. And the man asked me, what does that mean? And so you know what? I had this chance to like have a conversation with him and say, maybe, maybe, maybe all these walls that you've built up in your life toward God and toward church and toward religion, maybe they're not as high and as tall and unable to be broken down as you think they are. And so yesterday evening, last night, on my voicemail, I had a call from this gentleman 
Before I listen, I have a bad habit of before I listen to the voicemail, I try to call the people back so I don't know what they needed. And so I called him back, hey, just wanted to check in. And he said, did you listen to my voicemail? And I said, no. He goes, well, I don't want to talk to you then. (laughs) That's always affirming. Um, He said, I want you to go listen to the voicemail. And so I did. And as he shared with me, how he felt, his voice broke. And he said, you know, when I was telling you that story about my colleague, I was not doing a very good job of articulating that I actually do believe. I believe that there's a God and I believe that God God revealed God's self to us through Jesus. And I believe that Jesus changed things. That's beautiful end credit. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say, go sit in a room and feel good about yourselves. He said, go and make disciples. And as you do that, as you go and you do, I will be with you. So guess what happens when Jesus is with us? We do exactly what that woman in that Bible study wanted to do. There was nothing wrong with what she desired, which was to grow closer with God. That's what this is about. But the way that we do that, the way that we become transformed and changed is by doing the call of the one who came and showed us what it means to live and to love. And that is to go and make disciples. So this morning, I ask each of us, you and you online and me, what do our end credits look like? How can we go and make disciples? Because when we answer that, I believe We are living in the resurrection. Let us pray. Gracious God, we each come to you this morning from a different place and a different perspective. And I just ask that as we sit in these few moments, that you would reveal to us how it is that you want us to live so that we are living as Easter people, changed by the power of the resurrection. The credits are not finished being written. Use us to write in credits that will truly change this this community, this nation, and this world. We offer ourselves to you this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So look at what God was able to do with a life of someone who didn't even proclaim to be a Jesus follower. He touched someone that he didn't even agree with and that other person saw Jesus in him. If God can do that in the life of a man, what can God do in our lives when we open ourselves up to the possibility of living in the power and the joy and the transformation of the resurrection? I believe that the end credits that we write can change the world. Will you go? And will you write with me those end credits, making disciples of all people everywhere, and he's with us as we go. Amen.